come on. You guys are like, this is not Pastor Jason Brown. It is not. But uh, hey, so excited to see y'all this morning. My name is Mark. I'm the student pastor here. And I have the honor and privilege today to uh, share the story of Jesus with you. And my hope for you today is uh, it would encourage you, that it would challenge you, and uh, hopefully that you would, like we said earlier, that you would walk out uh, better than the way that you came in. And so I'm excited to uh, share this incredible story that changed my life so many years ago, and I hope that it uh, challenges you to just want to say welcome to our online family. Can we get up, give it up for our online family? Come on, come on. We're excited that you're here and just want to uh, thank our pastors. We love our pastors, so thank you, pastors. And um, Hey, real quick, if it is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here, and uh, our team would love to meet you. Um, after service in the garage, we have a little gift for you and we'd love to meet you and uh, just get to know you. And so I really believe that we're better together, right? Come on. So um, excited for you to be here. We are in a series called The Sounds of what? Christmas. There we go. Hey, if I ever pause or put the mic over here, you guys get to fill in the blank, okay? Uh, we are in a series called The Sounds of Christmas and uh, we've been, we're going through uh, different Christmas uh, songs and how they tie in with scripture and how they apply to our lives. And so I'm excited because today we get to unpack a little bit of uh, this old hymn that we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I think there's so much to be said about this hymn specifically. And, uh, you know, I was telling for service this, but as I was reflecting on earlier today, worshiping this song, to this song, I realized when it comes to these traditional hymns or traditional songs or songs that we've known for a while, it can be so easy to go through the motions. You ever caught yourself like when you've done something so many times that it's just so easy to do it stagnantly and just kind of be going through the motions. But as I was reflecting on these lyrics, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, I just realized the power and the strength that that has. And I'm gonna unpack that for you in just a couple minutes, but here's what I wanna do, okay? I want us to head over to uh, Matthew chapter, I believe it's chapter eight, Matthew chapter eight. Um, and we're gonna start in verse 23 and I'm gonna land in verse 27. And I wanna read this story to you because I believe that this story is gonna tie in directly to what this hymn is really all about, okay? Is that okay with you guys? You guys cool with that? Okay, so Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. If you need a second, say, hold up. Okay, I heard a couple of you. I'll hold up a second. If you don't got a Bible, you can uh, follow us on the Sky Bible on the screen. Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. And this is what the word of God says. It says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. Isn't it funny how when we're least prepared for it, something in life will hit us? You notice that? I don't, I don't think these disciples were ready for this storm. But it says suddenly. So to me, that implies out of nowhere, the storm begins to build up, and it hits the boat. And I was looking at some images of what they think boats back then looked like, and let me tell you something. They don't look like today's yachts. Okay, I can just imagine these teenagers on this boat because remember the disciples were teenagers, guys. I can just imagine them sitting in this boat and these waves begin to hit. And I want you guys to check this out. See how Jesus responds to this situation. Jesus was, yeah, 
He was sleeping. My man had too much Las Palapas. He was out. I don't know if it was Thanksgiving coma or Las Palapas. It's one of the two. Because if not one, the other one will hit you. That's for sure. Let me tell you that. I cannot believe he's like... I know some of y'all, you're like, well, I listen to the little raindrops falling on YouTube and I can sleep today. Okay, but this is a full-on storm. Y'all, I had a, last night at about one in the morning, there was a car alarm that was going off that woke me up and I could not sleep the rest of the night. So I don't know how Jesus is sleeping through the storm. That is a next level kind of peace. I need that in my life. Just saying. He's sleeping and the disciples doing what a normal human being does. They start freaking out. And it says, they went and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're dying. Okay, hold up. I need to preface this for you guys because you guys need to see this for a second. They went from literally watching miracles unfold before their eyes, hands being healed of leprosy. Peter's mother-in-law was healed before his eyes of her fever. They watched countless people gather and be healed. And now that they've hit a little bit of storm, all of a sudden they're freaking out and they're like, I'm gonna die. I think some of us can relate to that. And Jesus, I, I can't believe, Jesus is some, something else. He looks at them and he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? If that's me, I'm just saying, this storm just hit and you're gonna critique my faith, Jesus? Like, do you see what's going on? We about to drown here. And instead of dealing with the storm, you're gonna deal with me first? Put that in the back of your mind for a second because we're gonna come back to that. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm and the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I want to preach to you this morning from the subject of this. There has to be more. There has to be more. So God, we just thank you right now. Lord, speak to us this morning. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. I know somebody loves a quick prayer. I know y'all at Thanksgiving table, y'all had the whole family there and you go around and you pray every single one of you've got your 15 minutes of all your recited scripture around the table. And finally the turkey's cold by the time you eat it. No, just me. Okay. All right. That's cool. All right. Uh, some of y'all don't know that we have coffee over there and there's some extra caffeine for y'all and y'all can wake up there. I'm kidding. Can we have fun in church? Is that okay? Okay. All right, Bernie. I love you guys. Um, I'm from Seattle, so I can call you Bernie. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I was reflecting on a moment I had in Alaska about uh, six years ago. I think it was the night before New Year's Eve. And uh, my family and I took a trip to Alaska with a bunch of uh, friends and family, all Romanian, okay? Just making it known they're all Romanian, okay? They got the fat accents like, come on, hello. You know, like we all sound like that. Um, I don't know why I added that in there. That's okay though. Um, so we all took a trip together uh, for New Year's and we're in Alaska and 
we're going to dinner one night to this uh, restaurant. And this restaurant is literally at the top of the mountain. And so we had to take like 15 gondolas. I'm just kidding. We didn't take that many. I'm exaggerating. Preachers exaggerate a little bit sometimes. But this is true story. Okay. So we took a bunch of gondolas and we finally get to the top. And then I realized it's still not over because we got to take this elevator even more. And so the 40 something of us get in the elevator and we hit, we hit the next floor. And I noticed that it's not moving. And I'm like, uh oh, this is not good. If you know me, number one, I'm afraid of heights. Okay, so this whole like open door elevator look down to my death thing doesn't really work for me. And number two, I'm claustrophobic. Okay, so those two are meshing. This is I'm the disciples. I'm literally dying. So I'm like, ah, my heart's racing. I'm like having a panic attack. This is a true story. And these people are like right up in my like business. Okay, you know, like those people when you talk to them and they like get up in your face and they're like, hey, how's your day going? Okay, uh, if you don't, that's because you are that person. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm claustrophobic and I'm sitting there and the elevator's not moving. And I kid you not, guys, this might have been the longest like two and a half minutes of my life. I literally thought I was gonna die. And so we hit this button and Finally, uh, the doors begin to open. And I'm like, I see the light. Jesus is here. I made it to the pearly gates of it. No, I'm kidding. Um, the doors open and this lady comes and she's like, um, you guys are over capacity. This is not going to work. I look over and it's like, yeah, there's like it's capacity of like 20 people or something. We were twice the weight limit. I'm surprised we didn't like crash and burn. Um, but we ended up taking some like extra, I don't know, some side uh, staircases or whatever. But it's funny, I, sh I share this story to you because what I'm trying to get you to see is there are a lot of moments in our lives where we experience um, a situation that not only looks, but it may seem, and honestly, it might even literally feel like it's all over for us. Like, I'm gonna, it, it's over. I'm not getting past this. There's no way around it. I'm, it's over. I'm done. I quit. I don't know if any of y'all can relate. Maybe for some of you, it's like, you had a kid that your, your kid ran out when they were a teenager and they didn't come back that night. And you're like, where's my kid? And that's, uh, that's not, I'm not poking fun at that. That's a serious thing. But I'm just saying, maybe for you, you've had, you know, instances in your businesses and in your workplace where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. I've lost X amount of money. My investments didn't go as I planned. I didn't sell what I needed to sell. My marriage is not really where it needs to be. I'm struggling. My relationship with my kids is not what I, what I would have hoped for. It's over. You know, and I, I think it's so interesting because we are so quick to hit the panic button and to try to get out. I mean, look at these disciples for a second, guys. They had witnessed everything they had just witnessed. And yet the minute the wave hits, it's like instantly they want to jump out. And I don't know, maybe that makes them human. Maybe so. And, and I'll give them some grace in that aspect. But you have the creator of the universe in your boat with you that you have seen do miracles upon miracles. You mean to tell me that you don't think if he's sleeping that he's got it under control? Because let me just say for a minute, the person in the boat had the authority. He not only had the power to do something, but he had the authority. There's a big deal between having the capability and having authority. Because if I have authority, that means the instant I say something, it happens. Some of y'all know, because in your workplace, there's someone, there's a big boss and they got authority. It don't matter how good your plan to pitch to them. If they made up their mind, they made up their mind. It's over. Jesus had all the authority in the boat. 
And I'm, I just would like to maybe concur for you this morning. Maybe you, that storm that you're facing, that, that issue that maybe you're wrestling with that nobody else besides you knows or you and your family. What if Jesus is saying, I'm, I, have a, I have a session, I have an appointment with you in the storm. I think for many of us, this, this idea of a storm, might, while it may not be physical, maybe it's, maybe it's mental, maybe it's spiritual. And let me, let me just unpack that for a quick second. Some of us in this room are battling depression and it's real, but then we medicate with alcohol. Let me just say this. I think God wants to speak to you this morning and say, there might be a storm in your life, but don't you go and create a second storm. Don't you go and stir something in your own hands and cause more to happen than needed to happen. I don't think God stirred this storm up. I, don't, I can't say for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, but here's what I know. Typically when Jesus rebukes something, it's because it was from the enemy. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. The Bible doesn't say, I'm going to go on a whim and say, I don't think he necessarily stirred that storm. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I think so many of us, we have storms that come out of nowhere, but then we start our own storms because we start medicating with this. We start responding with anger. We say we love the Lord and oh, we worship in church, but then we go outside and we start saying all kinds of things about the town. How are you going to love God, but not love people? You guys realize that doesn't, that doesn't go together. The two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as your, I know you love yourself. Come on. Or you should, because you are beautifully and wonderfully made in God's image. You should love yourself. I, I just wonder if God wants to meet some of us this morning in the middle of our mess. He is with us. How do I know? Well, the hymn we just sang that was actually originated about the 8th or 9th century and then obviously redone in the 1850s. And this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You guys know that comes from a verse in Matthew chapter 1, I believe it's verse 23, where it's prophesied that, that, that a, young son would be, a young child would be born of a virgin and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, I'm here to speak to somebody this morning and tell you, I don't know what your situation or your circumstance or what you may be going through, but I know there is a God of the universe that despite what you're facing, he is in the middle of the storm. He is in the middle of your circumstance. He is in the middle of the situation. And not only does he have control, but he has authority. And that's something to be excited about. Because 1910, I'm just going to be real with you. I think our country has gotten stale in our church. I think we've gotten comfortable and I think we've lost our desperation and our need for a savior. I think so many of us have become our own saviors and I don't think God has anything wrong. I don't think he's upset because you make X amount of money or because you have nice cars or because your business is flourishing or because you got a big, happy, good, perfect family. I don't think any of those things are wrong, but I think when you begin to put things on pedestals and put it above him and not give him the glory, I think it's a recipe for disaster. And I think our country as a whole has lost their desperation. And I can say that because I've been to third world countries. Some of you in this room need to go see how kids that have absolutely nothing worship God. 
There's a reason that the Bible alludes so many times to us being like children, not because God wants you to be immature, but because God wants you to be in that humble posture where you don't know it all and you lean into him and you don't act like a know-it-all. God has no problem with you being a, afraid. He has a problem when you don't bring that to him and allow him to be the answer to that. But instead you go to alcohol because you don't want to deal with that anxiety that you're facing. When's the last time when you were battling what you were battling, you went to Jesus? I'm just being honest. When's the last time you actually got on your knees and genuinely said, God, I don't have the words. I don't even know how to pray, but here I am. Would you help me? These disciples may have gotten rebuked and they did, but there's one thing they did right. Nobody, you know, I don't think I've heard anybody ever mention this, but they went to Jesus. They just went with the wrong posture. And I think the posture that you approach Jesus with is just as important as going to him. God wants you to come the way you are, but he's, gonna not, he's not going to let you stay that way. I think that's the greatest theological mistake that we make is we think that we've got to have it everything together, that we've got to act a certain way. We got to talk a certain way. I got to fix these issues. I got to fix these things. My family's got to be perfect. I got to look like straight out of a model book. I got to get my hat off. I got to put my makeup on perfect. And then I show up to God's presence. And it's like, I don't think he has anything wrong with you doing that. But I think if you've got to check a bunch of things on your list before you can come to God, I think you've missed the whole point. Because, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel is not, oh, God's going to show up when you're perfect. The gospel is God showed up despite and in spite of your imperfection, that God still showed up. He is with us. He, is, he wasn't just was. He wasn't just will be. He wasn't just is. He is all of that. Jesus says, I am that I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. God is stable. In our instability, God is stable. You can lean on him, church. You can trust him. You know, in fact, uh, some 700 years before he would be born, Isaiah the prophet showed up with a word from God and he shows up to, to the king and I don't have it up on the screen, but you're just gonna have to believe me in Isaiah chapter seven where it prophesies that, that a savior would be born. And he says this, he goes to the king and he says, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. In fact, Israel was going through such turmoil. Much, you know, much can be said about that. And, and even modern day today, what we see going on, and it's truly awful. But can I remind you something? As terrible as it is, why are we surprised when God said this would never be fixed until he returns? It will never be fixed until Jesus returns. Yeah, there may be pauses. There may be stops. But God's people have been under persecution since the very beginning. All these kings were trying to take over. Isaiah shows up and in fact, he, he, he comes to the king and he says, be calm, don't be afraid. And, and I know that you've got some stuff going on because there's a couple people that are trying to backstab you right now. And he says this, do not lose heart because of these two. He refers to them as two smoldering stubs of firewood. These two people, Rezin and Pekah. Rezin who was a king and Pekah was the son of the king of Israel, both of whom are trying to take out Israel. And the king's panicking and he's lost trust in God. In fact, so much so that God tells him to test him and he's like, I'm not testing God. And it's funny because scholars believe when he was responding to that, he said, I wouldn't test God because he didn't want to see that God was actually going to show up. He was afraid of God's response. 
He was unsure of it. He didn't want to know that God really was going to show up the way he was going to show up. But I love it because God knew that was going to happen. He tells him, be careful. Do not be afraid and don't lose heart. And I love what he says here. Look at this. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, oh, I got to speak to somebody today. Some of y'all are walking in your faith like this and God's saying, you better be, you better stand up. I know you're going through some stuff, but just stand up. I'm going to lift you up. You've got to stand up because you don't got a half God. You've got a God who's given it all for you. You've got a God who will meet you right where you're at. You've got a God who can cover everything. I serve a God who didn't just show up in Joseph's dreams and show up into him in his pit and show up when he was in the palace. I serve a God who showed up in the lion's den when the lions were going to eat Daniel because he didn't he was praying to God and he shut them up. And I serve a God who showed up in the fire to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the middle of that fire when King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, there's four people now. There's another in the fire. That's the kind of God that I serve. And that's the kind of God that we ought to get excited about. And I think our country has forgotten the fact that this is still the God who does miracles. Our God still does miracles. He still provides. He still shows up. Why have we lost our faith? Oh, why do you doubt in the middle of your storm that I cannot, that I cannot show up even though I said that I would and that my name in its nature means I am with you? Oh, some of us got to be reminded that God is still showing up. I know your marriage might be on the brinks. I know maybe your spouse did something you had hoped they wouldn't and you don't know if you're going to make it and I'm not here to tell you how or what you should do, but what I am here to say is that I believe that God is still in the business of restoration. However that may look like, God is still in the business of, of healing and restoring. Oh, if he could raise up the dead and bring them back to life, young person, I feel like, and I believe with my whole heart that he can restore what, what the enemy took from you. He will take what the enemy did and turn it around for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, that enemy might have thrown a storm their way. God said, I'm going to turn that storm into an appointment with you. And I'm going to show you who you really need to lean on. It's funny because I can just imagine in this very moment how these disciples are just, they're losing it. It's ironic because God is literally with them. But here they are in their human flesh, not knowing what's coming, unsure. And I share to you this story because I think this is one of the prime examples, and there are so many in the Bible. There's so many stories we could have read today to, to, to match this, but I truly believe this is one of the greatest depictions of God being there with you. Replace that storm with whatever you're going through, and I know Jesus is not in flesh anymore, but he gave his life on a cross so that you and I could have forgiveness and be redeemed and restored with Christ, and he left the greatest asset on this earth. He left his Holy Spirit, and I think there's some of us in this room, maybe, maybe even more than that, that have simply shunned out one of the greatest connection points to God. We have theological beliefs where we shut out one third of God 
May I remind you that two-thirds is 66%. You didn't pass in school with 66%. So why do we think that God can pass with 66%? Why do we cut out 33% of the Trinity and we're afraid? Because I don't want to see God show up. I don't, I, I, let, me, let me just say something real quick for those of you that would say, I don't know if I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You know why we don't believe in gifts of the Spirit more often than not? Because it's an area that as human beings, we don't really have control. It's really easy to understand the Father. It's really easy to understand the Son and the construct of this. Oh, but it's difficult to understand the Spirit. Well, I can't control the Spirit. Yeah, exactly the point. He says you will mutter things that only the Spirit understands and it will begin to flow from your inside. And I'm just telling y'all, we got to start to invite the Spirit back into our lives. I promise you, when you begin to invite the Spirit, God that is with us, you will begin to see breakthrough. And I'm not saying you're going to get a big check in your bank account. I know Pastor Jason always reminds us that. And I want to be the, the second person to remind you. You may but you will begin to see the blessings in the outpouring of Jesus. You don't think these disciples went through a lot, but also experienced many blessings? Oh, I'm sure we will be celebrating with them in heaven and seeing all that is in store and rewarded for them for all that they did. And I just, when I close here and the band can come on up and I'm gonna wrap up, but if there's one thing that you guys get today, I want you to understand this right here. Your captivity is not your conclusion. What do I mean by this? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That, that song specifically, the very next verse, literally talks about him coming and being the ransom for their captivity for a group of people that would be captive for some 400 years under Egyptian rule. These people have been, were under captivity multiple times. And let me just say this. I don't think metaphorically speaking, it speaks only of a country and a nation. I think it speaks of us as people. I think you and I are the Israel. I think if, if we're not careful and we don't invite Jesus into our lives, guys, we will live a life of captivity. And you know who will hold you captive? The world. The world will hold you captive. The shiny bling, the money, the cars, the fame, the clout, the ranches, the restaurants, the whatever. Insert it. The world will be so quick to tell you. I mean, just look at our kids. They got websites they shouldn't have right next to their Bible app. It's that easy at a click. If we're not careful, it is so easy for us to allow the storm to consume and be like, I'm dying, so I'm going to jump ship. I don't feel God. I don't see God right now. So maybe he's not really real. Okay, well, you don't really see the oxygen that you're breathing, but you're in faith, trusting that your body's absorbing it and that you are actually breathing and alive right now. You don't go to bed knowing you're going to wake up the mor next morning. Most of you assume you're going to wake up, but how do you know your heart's not going to give out right when you're sleeping? And I'm not trying to be somber. I'm just saying, are you controlling your own heartbeat? No. You have some form of faith in hopes that your body is going to run and operate. Do you know who pumps that body? The breath of God in Genesis. 
the God that is with you and me. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's still here. He's still in the business of doing miracles. He's still in the business of restoring. Come on, we got to start to believe 1910. We got to start to believe that we have a God who is with us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Who? I'm just being honest, like for a moment, what does the world have to offer? I think the world can be a great place. I think there's a reason we are here. But God's very creation is somehow going to take the place of a creator. And I know that's hard. Some of you are very stingy with everything you have. And you wonder why you haven't experienced the blessings of God. And that's not me, nor is it my place to say this, but I don't think the church is trying to take anybody's money. I'm just going to make it clear. You want testimonies of the financial blessings our pastors have experienced? Go ask them for yourself. But you know where it started? Giving God. Whatever that looks like. God, I might not have everything, but I got time. But I'm busy scrolling on TikTok. And I'm busy looking at cooking recipes that I can't even take five minutes and spend time with you. And you wonder why you're stuck in the same rut. Why have you not invited the creator who's in control to allow you to lead that situation and circumstance? You were not meant to live in captivity, 1910. He didn't say God one day with us. He didn't say God used to be with us. It says God with us. That means at all times, omnipresently. I don't know if that's a word, omnipresently. It is now. I made it up because we make up stuff. I'm just kidding. Preachers making up stuff on the, on the go. And I'm done. I'm going to close out. But I just, I don't want us to be a church that has lost hope because of things that have happened or things that maybe have been done in your personal life or because maybe a leader has hurt you. Guys, if you put people on a pedestal, you will also fall by them. You will fall by their weaknesses. But if I put God on his pedestal, which he already takes whether you ask him or not, it's just a matter of whether you want to line that up with your life or not. He's already on his throne. He's already in control. And I truly believe he's watching. And you know what I think? And it's funny because I think he has nothing wrong with you being successful. But I really think sometimes he looks at us. He's like, oh, you made a million bucks. That's cute. But what are you, what are you doing with your life? Why are you squandering it like that? Oh, your business is blown. That's so cute. I love that your makeup line is blowing up. But hello. I want to interact with you. You know, I blessed that. That's why you did it. I experienced God in my personal life when I least expected it. Some of y'all, maybe, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but I used to bodybuild and I'm not going to get into all the details right now, but just know that I was not the healthiest person and I was putting stuff in my body I shouldn't have been putting and I hit rock bottom. And I remember not being able to get up one day. I remembered I could barely breathe. My heart was racing. I couldn't walk. And I found out that my hormones were so messed up that you couldn't even say that I was biologically a man or a woman. My hormones were so messed up. There was nothing. 
I was so unstable. My testosterone wasn't enough of a normal man and my estrogens were all messed up for a guy too. It was weird. <laughs> and there I was laying, not sure if I would even make it and I wanted to take my own life. And I just remember laying in my bed, closing my eyes and yelling out and I said, God, if you're real, show up. That moment right there, I'll spare you the story, but that moment right there changed my life. When's the last time you said, God, just show up? I believe he wants to do miracles in your life. I believe that he wants to set you free. You were not meant to stay in captivity. You were not meant to go through that pain and that hurt. It may have molded you. And I believe that our past is not there so we can stare at it, but it's there to remind us of the goodness that God has brought us from. Every now and then it's okay to look back, but don't you stay staring there. If God did it before, he'll do it again. I can just imagine his disciples. Oh, you mean you healed leprosy and you raised the dead and now you silence the waves? Wow. And in his final moments, as he hung up on that cross and he suffocated in his blood for hours, like he was literally nailed there and you would have to go up to breathe and take breaths because your lungs would get filled up. I know it sounds graphic, but I need you guys to see this. Every breath he would go up to breathe. And in his final moments, as two thieves were next to him, one of them was humble enough to renounce his old life and say, God, wherever you're going, Jesus, Messiah, would you remember me? And in that very moment, Jesus looks at him and says, today you shall be in paradise. If that doesn't test your theology, it, it will now. There was nothing that man could do. There was nothing he could do to earn or deserve God's love. There was nothing he could do to get off that cross and do a good deed. He couldn't go to the Chick-fil-A line and buy the person a burger. He couldn't go to an altar and, and, and weep and let it all out. Though I think those things are great, I know that our God will meet us right where we're at. And the Bible doesn't say this. We know that Jesus died for you and for me, but isn't it interesting how in his final moments he was able to give someone salvation physically while he was here? I, I can't say this for certain, but I question this all the time. If Jesus had not died on that cross in that very spot, would this man have ever seen eternity? You've got a session in the storm and God wants to meet you right where you're at. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your sacrifice. Lord, you are sufficient. You are the king above all kings. Father, I thank you that at the end of Matthew, you said you will be here till the end of the age. Oh, Emmanuel, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, God with us. The ransom for our people. Rejoice, rejoice. God, we rejoice this morning. Thank you that you gave your son freely for you, for, for me and for everyone in this room and for every human person. So, Lord, we thank you. If you're in this room this morning and um, you've never said yes to Jesus,
I just, I want to give you an opportunity right now. I just think it would be amiss if we didn't. If you're in this place and you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, in this private moment, I'm going to be looking because I just want to see who I'm praying for. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand and you can put it right back down. I'm not doing this to embarrass or humiliate you or anything like that. I just believe when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it's a little bit more real for you. So on the count of three, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus and accept his free gift of forgiveness and grace in eternity with him. One, two, three. Would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you. I see you. I see you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the souls that have said yes to you. Lord, would you just be with them? Would you guide them? Would you open up their eyes in every situation and circumstance to see you, to know you, and to love you? Lord, we honor you, God. And in this moment right now, we want to give you all the praise and the worship, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.